Well, hey, my friend Aiden is going to come up, and, this, uh, and he's going to read the scripture this morning. And the reason why Aiden is reading our scripture this morning is, as promised, last week I said, we've been in the sermon series looking at the book of Proverbs, and you can't help, you can't help go through the book of Proverbs without bumping into a theme that just keeps hitting you over and over again. And it's about children. It's about, it's about how, we, how, we raise, how we raise our young men and women. And, uh, and so, anyways, we thought, hey, for the scripture this morning, Aiden's going to rock the scripture for us this morning. So go for it, buddy. Today's scriptures come from the book of Psalms and Proverbs. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring your, you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart. Then you will win a favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord's disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. This is God's word. <laughs> Good job, Aiden. Way to go. Um, uh, one day, Jesus was, was with his disciples, and he was, uh, the, he was doing what he would, would n normally do. He was teaching his disciples, and the people were gathering, and he would pray for the sick. And, and there's this moment that's recorded in the Gospels where where some parents wanted to bring their little kids to Jesus to have Jesus just bless them and pray over them. And it's just this funny moment where the disciples are sort of put off by this. And they sort of, you know, you picture them being like bouncers. You know, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus has got really important stuff going on back here. We don't want any boogers. We don't want any, you know, we don't want anything to throw him off his game. So, you know, can you just, can you, you know, maybe come back later at a better time. We'll create like a kitty day for Jesus, you know, and and, and they, they're about to turn away these kids, and, and Jesus, apparently, he's close enough to hear what's going on, and he says, guys, stop it. You, wait, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it. No, 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 let the little children come to me. And the kids come, and, you know, for those of you that, that uh, uh, unfortunately, sometimes people can get a picture of, of Jesus as this sort of very serious, dour um, sort of a guy, you know, and the more you get to know Jesus in the Gospels, the more you get a sense that this was a guy that was not a downer. You get the sense that he was probably a lot of fun to be with. You get the sense that he probably laughed with his disciples a ton, and you get the sense that kids loved to be around Jesus, and, uh, and so Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and here's what's, here's what's important for us to understand is for us Hearing that Jesus did that with kids, it's heartwarming. It's like, oh, that's so great that Jesus was like that. But listen, you got to catch this. What Jesus did in those moments, the way he was, was revolutionary. 
it was revolutionary because the context in which Jesus was in, he was in this, he was, they were under this, this Roman rule, this Roman empire, which, which was a huge, vast expanse of an empire. And children were not looked upon favorably in that context. In Jesus' context, kids were not looked upon very, very favorably at all. So what you see in the early Roman Empire, and you can read any historian, you know, that, that Christian or non-Christian, you know, says the same thing about the Roman Empire is that, that uh, the empire was hostile towards children. Abortion was, was off, the charts, off the charts in those days. Abandonment um, through the roof, especially for daughters. So in that culture, if you had a son, that was sort of like a more prized possession because a son could sort of, you know, be an heir and take on the family name. But, but a daughter, if you had too many daughters, abandonment um, at birth was a common practice. So children that were unwanted for any sort of defect or, or if there was a daughter and if you had already had a bunch of daughters, then you would have a child and you would just put that child out with the trash, literally. And that was a common practice in that day. Not just abortion or not just abandonment, but abuse was common, common, common in that day. Um, if you didn't, if you couldn't, you know, make it in that culture, then you were um, used and abused and sold in all sorts of different places um, as a gladiator, or as a prostitute, or who knows where you would end up. And then something interesting happens. Jesus steps onto the scene. Christianity sweeps through the Roman Empire. And... And just takes, it's just, the Christians were just such a different kind of people. They were just, they, they lived their lives in such a different way. And at that time, the Roman Empire was beginning to, it had already reached its peak and it started to shrink. And one of the reasons is because there was a shortage of women. Because of how often young daughters were sort of, were sort of discarded. But here come the Christians and the Christians did not have a shortage of women. They had a, they had a surplus of women <laughs> um, because they didn't throw out the, their babies. They, you know, they, they, uh, they, they cared for them and because through Jesus' example, through what he said, he says, no, 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 let the children come. Children matter. Children are valuable. So the Christians um, were utterly different. It was utterly uh, revolutionary. And um, so today, we're going to look at Proverbs, and we just got to look a little bit at what Proverbs has to say about kids. But it's easy for us to look at the Roman Empire and say, oh, gosh, those Romans, you know, they were so barbaric um, that, you know, it's good that Jesus really helped bring a revolution there. But it's harder for us to be able to look at our own context and say the same thing. But, but we have to take a step back and be honest with the fact that we have to look around our cult at our culture and acknowledge that our culture as well is hostile towards children. Um, abortion is still a huge, a huge big issue in our culture. Um, abandonment um, happens all the time, mostly by fathers. So many of our stories, in fact, if we could just come up and if I could just give everyone the microphone and we could tell our story, some of us would tell some beautiful stories about a dad in our life that was, that was there, that was present. Um, but many of us, isn't it true? Many of us could come up here and tell stories about, about our dads that, that perhaps left. They were gone. We didn't even know who our dad was, perhaps. Um, so abandonment, common, common in our day, and it leaves kids in a very vulnerable, vulnerable place. Um, and abuse, obviously, is, is, continues in all sorts of ways. You know, in that ancient culture, they would, they would in, in uh, non-Christian cultures and pagan cultures, the, the Christians were surrounded by different groups of people that would sacrifice children to their gods. And the Christians didn't do that. And uh, that seems so primitive. But do you know that children are sacrificed in our culture all the time? Children are sacrificed on the altar of work, of our jobs, 
Children are sacrificed on the altar of our own sexual desires for us to go be with this person or this person or this person. And our kids are left in vulnerable places. Our kids are sacrificed to all sorts of things in our culture, even still today. So the point is, I'm setting the stage, that what, what Proverbs has to say about children, what, what Christianity steps onto the scene and says about children, it matters. It matters to us today as much as, much as it mattered to them in that culture at the time. Um, so anyways, it's uh, children uh, are, uh, are important. They matter. We've been looking at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. By the way, on September 16th, remember we're taking a break next week. Remember that? But the September 16th, um, one of the big, other big themes that you see in Proverbs is, is uh, it talks about one of our biggest instruments that we have in our lives for either for good or for evil. One of, one of the things that we can leverage, that, we, that every single one of us has in the room, that we can even either leverage for the greatest good or the greatest wickedness is this thing right here. Our lips, our mouth, our tongue, our tongue. And Proverbs has tons to say about our speech, death and life and the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat its fruit. That's one of the Proverbs we'll look at September 16th. It's going to be a really, I'm excited. I've been, I've been thinking about that. This is one of those sermons I've been thinking about for a long time. So you don't want to miss uh, September 16th. Um, but uh, we've been looking at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Um, we'll be getting to Ecclesiastes really, really soon. And, uh, and, there's, and Proverbs is filled. Filled with tons of Proverbs. I'm just going to give you a couple, a couple little snippets of a couple more Proverbs that have to do with, with children and how we love them and how we raise them. Um, here's, here's a few. Um, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Don't let the word rod throw you off. This isn't a sermon about spanking, by the way, all right? Uh, in case it, it calm everybody's nerves, perhaps. But you, get the heart of what this is saying. This is saying, man, don't, don't, don't neglect to discipline because the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 22 says, start off children in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 19, discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Proverbs 29 says, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the, the, the delights you desire. Proverbs 23, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. In him. Hey, remember what we said weeks and weeks ago about Proverbs. Uh, it's easy to confuse Proverbs with promises. Sometimes when we read the book of Proverbs, we take them as just like, that's a promise. That's a promise. And in a way that they are, in a way they are promises. But Proverbs function in a little bit of a, little bit of a different way than just, than just a promise. Um, what, this is laying, what this is laying out are deep, deep principles that, man, when we love our kids, that means that we are intentionally a part of their lives. And the word that the Proverbs uses, uses to dis- describe that process is the word discipline. We're, we're close. We're near. Okay? Um, before I go any further, i got to mention a couple of things. We're, there's a, this is a diverse group here we have today. So first, maybe you're here and you're single, all right? You're single and, and no kids, single and no kids. And you might be asking, um, what does a sermon like this have to do with me? <laughs> um, here's my, I'm, I'm so glad you answered or you asked that question because actually my notes right here providentially have an answer to that question, all right? Um, here, here is what I'd say to you if you're single and you're like, I don't have kids. What's that supposed to, what are, what is that supposed to do with me? Well, listen. 
The Bible describes what, what we are um, as, a fo- as, as followers of Jesus. It describes us as a family. It describes us as a family. And there are no perfect parents in the room, okay? No perfect parents. In fact, if anybody claims to be a perfect parent, don't trust them, okay? If they claim to be perfect, that means they don't have a lot of self-awareness because the more self-aware you are as a parent, the more you're aware of, of, of how far you fall short as a parent. Um, there's no perfect parents, and there's no perfect communities of people but you know what is there's something beautiful that happens and the bible describes this in other places where where the bible describes this as as a family as a community as like a body and so there are no perfect parents so parents need help okay we need help we can't do it perfectly on our own that's why that's why we need each other that's why we need each other and i know speaking as a as a as a dad of three sons that my boys are pretty young right now, and they're, they're you know, a couple of, they're in some of our environments here, and they're, we're starting to get a taste of, right now, my, my boy Jeremiah is in kids' church down the way, and we have some great leaders down there serving in kids, and we've got some great young men down there um, serving in kids, great young women as well, both, right? But I just know as a, as a dad, I know that I'm trying to model for them as best I can what it looks like to follow Jesus, but I know that I fall short. And I know that I, I know that I can't cover everything. And so the thought that there's other people in our church, other men in our church who are coming alongside me and befriending my kids and, and taking an interest in them and being a part of their lives, that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing and so necessary. So single people, even if you don't have your own kids, guess what? We're a family. And you know what that means? That in a way, my kids are your kids. And um, I just got back from a backpacking trip. With, uh, with some of the people in our church, and I am really tired because we slept for about 45 minutes last night. I think that backpacking, I was telling somebody earlier, I think backpacking, from, from what I can tell, is a little bit similar to childbirth. Because, because what, what they tell me about childbirth is that, you know, it's, I mean, it's really painful in the moment, but then, like, afterwards, you kind of forget about it because you get all the endorphins or whatever those are, and it's like, it's like, that was amazing, I can't wait to do that again, you know, like that sort of thing. And I think backpacking is a little bit like that because at three in the morning the other night, you know, it's like we're just still awake and Jeremiah's like, Dad, are you still awake? I'm like, yes, yeah, son, I'm still awake. Is it almost morning? No, son. We have a lot of hours until it's morning. And I think we had that conversation every 15 minutes, you know. But then the next day we wake up and they're like, that was great. It was amazing. So uh, I just got back. I'm really tired. But you know what? The, uh, there were some other parents that were there that had to like go off and do some other stuff. And so I was put in charge of some of their kids. And that was, a, that was, that was really fun and it's, it's really good. But it was also super, uh, uh, super heavy too because you know that you're taking care of people's most prized possession in the whole world. And, um, and they entrusted me with their kids to take care of them. And they're a bunch of boys and they want to go like cut stuff with knives and things. And I'm like, whoa, like, okay, hold on. I do not want anyone losing a finger. Like, please just rein it in. And uh, it's, it's, it's an honoring thing that we get to count other people's kids as our own. So singles, you are not counted out of that. You get to be a part of that. Also, before I just move on, also, we have to acknowledge whenever we talk about children, there are some of us here today that are, have deep, deep grief and pain because you're unable to have children. And that's a huge reality too. Many, many, there's there, uh, miscarriages happen all the time and those are deeply painful and hard. And then there's others that there's try and try and try and, and can't, um, can't seem to have children. Um, just want to know that at our church, we, we acknowledge that. 
that that's a real thing. And, and, and uh, as I talk about kids this morning, um, I, you know, I want to remind you too that we serve, a, we serve a God, we serve Jesus who was childless. Jesus was single and he was childless. Um, he can relate to us. He knows, he knows what it's like. And so we can turn to him and we can run to him. Um, so that's a real reality in our church. So we just got to acknowledge that that's going on too as we talk about, as we talk about kids. Uh, but the main big idea is that kids matter. Kids matter. Kids matter. Um, first, the traditional approach that most kind of societies have taken towards child rearing, towards bringing up kids, is, oh, by the way, I just got to mention, there's also a ton of us that have lots of, our church is just teeming with kids right now, right? There's just like a baby boom. Look at all you guys back there. All of your babies. And then just next door, I don't know if they can hear me, but like the baby church next door, just so full. What a blessing. What a blessing. So a lot of us were in different stages of just raising kids. So uh, let the Proverbs speak to us this morning. Um, And I'm just going to give you a big principle, and I'll just let you walk away just sort of wrestling with it this morning. But um, Christianity does something really unique for parents uh, or for people who are raising up kids because the traditional approach to child rearing tends to be one of control. Um, the traditional approach in traditional societies have tended to lean towards, towards sort of controlling, you know, your, your children. Um, in a lot of cultures, children were seen more as, more as a, a property than people. And so, and so the traditional approach kind of takes that way, um, takes that route. But... Over the last hundred years or so, our world has changed dramatically, and now what we find in our culture today, for the most part, is there's been a big, big shift that's taken place in our society that's moved away from from complete control, which is good, but we've also sort of shifted all the way over here to, to sort of believing, coming to this understanding that in order to raise kids in our culture, you don't want to have very much control at all. In fact, that will stifle their individuality if you control so don't control, you know, don't, you, what you need to do, what, what I, how I like to describe it is this. Don't control, you need to provide um, emotional warmth. That's what we should provide. That's the, that's, the, that's the advice that many parents are walking around with when it comes to raising up their kids is, I don't want to control, I want them to be individuals, so we'll just give them just some space. You be, do whatever you want, you know, just whatever, just like, you know, follow your dreams and all that, and all that's, and all that's good to follow dreams, I'm not... No sin is bad to follow your dreams. But what we find ourselves is this place in our culture where parents aren't parenting and doing mostly outsourcing many of their responsibilities to all sorts of other organizations, okay? So there was a time when parents, even if they weren't doing all the educating, they saw themselves as the main educators of their kids. But now we say, oh, no, it's not my job to educate my kids. It's the, it's the school to educate my kids. That's their job. And there was a time when parents, Christian parents believed that it was their job to be the main spiritual developers of their kids. But now often what takes place is parents say, oh, no, no, it's not my job. It's the church's job to be the disciples of my kids. Because the church's job to make them Christian, and it's the school's job to make them smart. And then, you know, and then parents used to believe that it was their job to be the main source of fun and entertainment in their children's lives. But now we live in a culture where we outsource that too, and we say, oh, that's Netflix's job to do that. <laughs> or that's Hollywood's job, you know, or that's, that's, you know, that's, we outsource all these different things we tend in our culture. And what Christianity just, what Jesus and what the Proverbs is just pushing us towards this is bringing us, we're not, the picture isn't control, dominance. No, no, no. No, no, no. But also the picture isn't, oh, just take your hands off and just see what flourishes. 
No, no, no. The answer is right in the middle. That a wise parent, a wise parent is right in the middle of that dynamic. And we're taking ownership. One of our favorite verses at our church for describing that is the one that Aiden read this morning. Um, it says this, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Like arrows in a warrior's hands. I asked around this morning and somebody brought me an arrow. <laughs> um, it doesn't have any like, uh, what are these called at the end? Flickers? What would you call them? Fletching. This doesn't have any fletching, all right? But I just want, to picture, want you to picture that it does, okay? Use your imagination. Um, that proverb, that, that, that proverb, or the, that psalm says that children are like arrows. And here's what we say at our church all the time is children like arrows need to be carefully crafted and intentionally aimed. Carefully crafted and intentionally aimed. Because that's what you do with an arrow. These are carefully crafted, carefully crafted so that they will fly straight. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into making an arrow that's supposed to work. But as you know, not only are you supposed to make an arrow and then just like, you're not just supposed to make it and then just admire it, you know? Oh, what a beautiful arrow. What are you supposed to do with arrows? You're supposed to shoot them, right? You're supposed to use them. They're, they're going somewhere. And sometimes we don't view our kids like arrows. Sometimes we view our kids like a nuisance. Sometimes we, we treat our kids uh, like uh, we raise them up, but just to sort of keep them home because they provide some emotional stability for us, which is incredibly unhealthy. For parents to do but children are supposed to be like arrows they are intentionally um they're 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 what, are, what did i say sorry they're carefully crafted that's the word carefully crafted and intentionally aimed how in the world are we supposed to do that okay i'm going to give you a principle this morning okay it's a big principle you can apply it in all sorts of different ways but i find that this is actually one of uh it, it's a beautiful principle uh, for, for parenting that I've found incredibly, incredibly um, helpful. Listen, um, we've all heard of the golden rule, right? You heard the golden rule before? There's actually one before that. Do you know that there's one actually that people call the silver rule? Okay, it's the silver rule. I'll show you the silver rule. A lot of different um, societies throughout history have kind of operated by the silver rule. This is the silver rule. It's right up here. It's don't do to others that you don't want done to you. Okay, it's in the negative form of the golden rule, right? Don't do to others that you wouldn't want them to do to you. And if you can look in societies from long past, and that was one of their guiding principles that they would have. Um, but then, but then, now we have the golden rule. Where do we get the golden rule? Well, it shows up in a lot of different cultures. Jesus actually said it the way that most of us remember it. Um, this is the golden rule. You know the golden rule. This comes from Luke chapter 6. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he's talking with them about like, how we're supposed to treat and care for others. This is in the context of, of the Sermon on the Mount, this be, like, beautiful, beautiful uh, um, sermon that Jesus delivers. And here's what he says. And we all know this, right? Uh, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's more proactive. It's not sort of defensive like the silver rule is. It's proactive. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay. There's even one better. And it's one that we don't talk about very much. We've all heard the golden rule. And you should teach your kids the golden rule. Listen, but you've got to teach them this other rule that is actually even more and more beautiful. In a second, don't put up the slide yet, but we're going to call this the platinum rule, or as I like to call it, the adamantium rule, okay? 
This is, uh, this is an even more beautiful rule. And it comes to us in another conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. They've got questions about how do we love one another? How do we care for one another? Jesus is trying in every way he, every way he can in order for him to, uh, to, to, to describe to them how they're supposed to treat others. And here's, what, here's the conversation that goes on. It goes like this. This is... Um, you put that up there. It's a scripture. Is it up there? Oh, thank you. John 13. It says this. A new command I give you. Love one another. To which the disciples are like, oh, that's not new. Um, like we've heard this before. What's new about this? He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. And they're scratching their heads. Okay, what's new about this? And then Jesus lays on them this command that's the platinum rule. Listen, he says this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And in fact, we could probably just add right there at the end, maybe Jesus would have done this. By, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. As I have, have, lo- as I have loved you. Do you see the little, see the little tw- twist in there? Do you see the little thing that Jesus adds that makes it a new command, a beautiful command. Here's what it is. The platinum rule is this. Can you put it up there? The platinum rule is do unto others as God has done to you. It isn't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's great. But Christians understand that we take it one step further. And the platinum rule is do unto others as God has done to you. Treat others as God has treated you. Treat others as God has treated you. Listen, our children, our children, do they count as others? Do they count as others? Yes. Yes. Children count as others. Listen, parents, and I'm telling this to my and parents, everyone, just these are all of our kids that we're talking about. But listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling on myself a little bit now. But you know what I've noticed? is sometimes we forget that our children aren't just our children, but they're also our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're also our neighbor, our children are. And Jesus had a lot to say about loving your neighbor, didn't he? Jesus has all these commands about loving others, and I think sometimes as parents, you know what we do? We think that they apply to like our neighbor or the person we work with or the person we're trying to reach for the gospel, and we forget that our kids are counted in that number. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we treat our neighbors better than we treat our kids. Sometimes I think we treat our, our, uh, our coworkers better than we treat our kids. Perfect example is at my house, not too long ago, we're having this like argument in our house. I'm trying to get my kids to understand this thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, like this. And then like the doorbell rings and I'm like, who is it? And I look through the thing and it's like one of my neighbors and it's probably one of you, you know? And then automatically I'm like, shh, okay, calm down. Hi, what's up? Yeah, yeah, things are good. No, no, no. That was just the TV you heard. Yeah, no, 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 no. No, things are good, you know. What's up, bro? You know, and then like, hey, bye. You know, I turn back to the thing. And, you know, I I think about those, I think about those moments and it reminds me, my kids aren't just my kids. They're my brothers and my sisters. They're what this verse is talking about. Listen, 
If we, let's go back to the verse. It says, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. And I know the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm going to take a little bit of license here. Because if we can agree that kids are one another's, then listen to how this verse reads when we put kids in it. Listen, a new command I give you. A new command I give you, love kids. As I have loved you, so you must love your kids. As I have loved you, you must love your kids. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love, if you love kids. Puts it in a little bit different perspective. So the question is, is if you know how to, if you want to know how to discipline kids, if you want to know how to treat kids, here's the, here's the big picture. This isn't a sermon on all of the sorts of little ins and outs on what to do about discipline, okay? Because I just want you to take this principle and I want you to figure out how to apply it in your own context. But if you want to know how to treat kids, how to, how to discipline kids, then you got to ask yourself this question. How does God treat me? How does God discipline me? How does God interact with me? And as you begin to answer that question, it will shed light on what you're supposed to do with your kids, with your kids. One of the best passages to look at is Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to read it to you. A couple thoughts will be done this morning. And I just want you to take this principle and I want you to go work on applying it. Here's Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to what it says. Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews is talking about all this. And he says this. Listen. This is from the the version called The Message, okay? Kind of puts it in some different language. It's really helpful. Have you forgotten, says the author of Hebrews, have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, and by the way, the author right here is going to now quote um, Proverbs 3, what Aiden read this morning. He quotes Proverbs 3. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? See, we respect our, our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us. Training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going, it's going against the grain. But later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So, don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so that no one will trip and fall, so that no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. So good. So much stuff in here. Here's a quick, quick thoughts. Um, number one is... Um, remember, remember this, God delights in you. God delights in you. God loves you. He, delight, he doesn't just love you, he doesn't like you, he delights in you. Do your children know that you delight in them? Do our kids know that we delight in them? It's a good question. Number two, um, God's discipline is always restorative and it's never vindictive. God's kind of discipline 
with us, with you, with me, is always restorative and it's never vindictive. It's never punitive. And we often, as parents, when we're trying to discipline our kids, fall into that area where we start to be vindictive with our discipline. We get ticked off. It hurts our pride. And so we tell, you know, kids, go there, do this, you know, whatever sort of discipline we have for them. Because there's something wicked in our hearts where we just want them to sort of like feel it. You know, we just sort of want them to like feel how they ticked us off. And so we send them off to whatever discipline that is. And I got to tell you, that's the kind of discipline that we have to shy away from. Because that's not going to be the kind of discipline that leads them up. That's going to be the kind of discipline that leads them down. Because God's kind of discipline to us is the kind that brings us up. It brings us up. He disciplines us because we are his beloved children. He delights in us. Therefore, when he, when he, when he, when the things that happen, when he's just like working on our hearts, one of the words we use in, in church world for that is called conviction. God doesn't deal with guilt. God doesn't put guilt on you. What God deals with is this thing called conviction. And it feels a little bit like guilt, but it's different because conviction is always given so that we would sense the waywardness of our lives, the waywardness of our hearts, so that we would turn back to God, so that we would turn to him. It always leads us up and out. And deeper in, punishment should never leave our kids down, down, and down. How do you do that, parents? I'm trying to figure it out too. I'm trying to figure it out. How is my discipline of my kids, how is it restorative? How do I, how do I communicate that to them? Um, that's something that we're all in together. But that's a principle you need to take with you. Next is the gospel takes root in our hearts before it takes root in our homes. The gospel takes root in our hearts before it takes root in our homes. Meaning that kids need to know and see how passionate you are about God, not just hear about it. They can't just hear about God. They need to see God actively working in your life, in your home. Don't make the mistake that, that you'll just tell your kids about God and that they'll get a new heart. No, 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 no. They need to see God at work in your heart. That's why the gospel always takes root in our own hearts before it takes root in our homes. And so for us that have got kids around us, a deep penetrating question is, do your kids, are your kids able to see the passion that you have for God? Are your kids able to see the passion that you have? Can they tangibly feel it in your home? Or is it just something you talk about? Or is it just like a, a Sunday trip you take? But is it something that's actually rooted into the very fabric of your home? Can they see the passion that you have for this gospel, for this God who has given us so much? Has it transformed the very fabric of your own heart? If it hasn't, then that's where good parenting is going to begin for you. Is it's got to start with your own heart. And when it gets rooted in your own heart, it gets rooted into the heart of your home. Um, last... Really, last is this, is if God treats us like this, then our kids need to know. One of our, our holy tasks, everyone, not just parents, everyone here, if you're a follower of Jesus, our holy task is to help kids know that he's better, that God is better. He's better. Our main goal is to show our kids that the fullest life possible is only found in Christ. The best life possible is only found in Christ. He's better than any video game. He's better than any sexual experience. He's better than, than any activity or event. He's better. He's better. Our holy task, all of us as a community of people who are loving our kids, 
is to understand that what God wants isn't just changed behavior. He wants a changed heart. He's after our hearts and he's after our kids' hearts. So as we go after our kids, then we have to acknowledge that we're not just going after their behavior. That's surface level. We want their hearts. We want them to know. We want them to know that we serve a good God. If, you want our, if we want our kids to follow God, then we need to show them a good God. We need to give them a If you want to give your kid a reason to sing, then you got to show them. you got to give them a good God, a God that's better. If you, if you want to give your kids a reason to say no to that thing and say yes to that thing, then you need to give them a big God. If you want, your, if you want our kids to, to, to say, hey, instead of doing the video game thing or this thing, I'm going to pursue this thing and this thing, then you got to give them a big God. you got to give them a big God. And our God is big. Our God is good. Our God loves us. Our God delights in us. Our God came and gave his life for us. And that is the thing that transforms our hearts. That's the thing. It's the grace of Jesus that makes all the difference. It's always completely, utterly, completely about God's grace. And when that takes root in our hearts as people, then that will begin to trickle down in all of our kids' lives. Give them a great God. God's great. So, big idea is this. How does God treat you? How does God discipline you? How does God love you? You ask yourselves those questions. You tap into the grace and the love and the discipline that he gives us. Then you're starting to tap into how we're supposed to train and love and discipline and cherish our own kids. There you go.